Amen. Amen. I'm so glad that you're here today. And um, I'm uh, really delighted that we have uh, our, our son Nathan and his wife Ashley and their kids are with us this weekend. And um, I'm excited about that. You know, he pastors a church up in Hereford, Texas, and uh, just a little bit south of Amarillo. And uh, I wanted to let him know, you know, hey, are you, you got a word for us today? And um, he was like, you yeah, know, wait a minute. I'm, but um, I'm glad that y'all are here and what a blessing it is uh, to have y'all in the house and to hear those pitter-patter of little feet again. But uh, what a joy. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12 and we're going to be talking about spiritual gifts today. And, um, you know, it, it's uh, exercising those gifts in humility. Um, I, I think that's a, a key there. And uh, in Romans 12, beginning in, in verse 2, the Apostle Paul he, uh, he says, he calls for transformation, and he calls for it by the renewing of our mind, okay? This transformation by the renewing of your mind. And then in verse 3, he tells us how we ought to think of ourselves, and he says, for, you know, we should not think, um, everyone among you not think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to have sound judgment. And, um, <clears throat> you know, when we think about where we're at today in our society and things, you know, self-esteem uh, has, has been a byword for our society for quite some time. And, you know, the popular folk religion says that we need to think more highly of ourselves, that we've got an esteem problem somehow, and we live in this me generation. And, and think about this, because it's like if you look at some of the magazines that are out there, it's like Life Magazine, People Magazine, Us Magazine, Self Magazine. I mean, all of these things show us that we're focused inward but understand that in Paul's letters Paul doesn't caution us about having too low a self-esteem he warns us of having an inflated ego and he warns about thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think and understand this that the truth is is that people with low self-esteem are still focused on themselves and their low self-esteem we're all just, they, we focus on that. And, and, you know, how do you get an accurate opinion of yourself? And Paul gives us the answer here. It's by realizing that God has allotted to each of us a measure of faith. It's by recognizing that everything that we have is given to us by God. You may earn it, you may work hard for it, but understand this. If your heart gives out, you're done. He gives you the breath that you breathe. He gives you the relationships that you enjoy. And you know, you think about all of this, it's like it, it comes from God. And, and this is contrary, so contrary to most popular American thinking. I mean, some Christians feel that their faith is something that, that they have determined. And what I mean by that is they believe they believe in Jesus Christ because they made an intelligent choice. And you think about that, it's like scriptures teach us that it is God who gives the faith. He's the one who gives us the faith. And, and, and so when we talk about spiritual gifts, the various spiritual gifts that we're going to talk about this morning, or uh, the, the Greek New Testament calls it charismata, okay, but it's, it's, it's a word for, for spiritual gifts, and they're understood as these um, concrete manifestations of one grace that's imparted 
on all. I mean, it takes many members to make up the body of Christ. Many members. And, you know, it just, I mean, the arms, there's, there's legs, there's, there's, there's eyes, but they don't all have the same function. You know, a marathon runner, he knows how to, how to win the race. And, and he sets a stride using every part of his beings. His legs may be carrying him and, and the body um, weight, but his arms have to move gracefully to win and his eyes must continually be set on the prize and the obstructions that may lie in his path. And just like that, our physical body is one single unit. I mean, you know, I'm so glad that, that my hand doesn't act like my eyes. I can't see through my ears. I can see through my eyes. And we have all these members that make up one body. And and I love that, the metaphor of the human body, which Paul develops in different ways in different letters that he writes. But it enables him here in this passage to hold together the unity of the church, the plurality of the members, and the variety of their gifts. He holds all that together in the body of Christ. And we all have different gifts. We all have, have, um, we're all different people. And it's just amazing how that works. And as we're talking about um, spiritual gifts, just recognize that (laughs) the gift of exaggeration, the gift of being bossy, those are not spiritual gifts. Which one of these is not like the other? I want to give you three basic truths here, and then we're going to talk about the gifts in a little bit. But uh, the first one is this. Every believer has at least one gift. Every believer has at least one gift. The second thing is no believer has all the gifts. God designed it that way. Because if somebody had all the gifts, oh man, you couldn't even get in the, the same room with the person. You know, their head would be this big. Your spiritual gift, third, your spiritual gift enables you to serve the body of Christ effectively. See, the mark of a healthy church is a church where every believer is using their spiritual gifts for the good of the whole congregation. And we live in such an age of independence we don't want we you know we just want to be have ours and do our thing but christianity involves interdependence where we need each other to complete the body of christ and in the same way that a body is dependent upon the proper functioning of all its members so the various members of the body of christ depend on one another for their spiritual well-being and we're, we're so interconnected that way as believers in Christ. And it's really becomes apparent when we talk about spiritual gifts. Notice in verse 4 and 5 of chapter 12, Paul writes this. He says, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. He talks about oneness, and then he talks about despite our differences, and then he talks about our differences which we enjoy in the midst of unity. And so it's, a, it's kind of back and forth here. 
But let's read in, in chapter 12, verse 6, down through verse 8, just three verses. And God's word says this. It says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it speaks to us. Father, there is none like you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice for us so that we could be redeemed for all eternity. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for guiding us and convicting us of the truth. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would open up your words for each of us that we might serve the body of Christ better. Guide us, Father, as we study your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, in my years of studying God's word, I have found very few subjects where there is more widespread difference of opinion than that of spiritual gifts. Different authors define various gifts in different ways. And there's debate over whether all the gifts are still functioning today, whether uh, some of the sign gifts were just for uh, the apostolic era when the apostles were here. Um, There are different views on how many gifts each person has or how we can discover our gifts. Some people offer spiritual gift inventories um, by which you're supposed to be able to determine what your gift is. And others may say that it's wrong to emphasize that you're supposed to discover your gift. And so there's this whole wide spectrum of things surrounding spiritual gifts. And so as I approach Romans 12, 6 through 8, a bit hesitantly, uh, acknowledging that good men differ on their understanding of the topic, I want to point out that there's four different places in the New Testament, four separate lists of gifts that are mentioned in the New Testament, and this is one of those, Romans 12, 6 through 8. Another one is 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verses 11, uh, excuse me, 8 through 11, and then 28 through 31. And then Ephesians 4, 11, and 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. And there are other gifts than the seven we're going to talk about today uh, that are listed in our text, but none of those lists are exhaustive. Okay, They may have gifts in them. There may be more. Some of the gifts differ in names that might seem to refer to the same type of thing. Uh, For example, administration and leadership. Those may be very close together. Or helps, the gift of helps and the gift of serving. uh, Kind of very similar. But understand that none of these lists, none of these lists contain prayer or music which we think is very vital to what we do. But those those lists don't include that. And some contend that each believer only has one spiritual gift. But I don't really find any scriptural basis for that. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul seemed to have many gifts. 
And there's no reason to think that he's different from any one of us. And so we have at least one, but we might have more than one. And so just, just recognize that. But I want to I cover just a few things uh, before we get into the gifts themselves. And one of those is the sovereign nature of the gifts. These spiritual gifts are not a shopping list, okay, where you can say, oh yeah, I'd like to have some of that and uh, some of that. And let me throw a little of that in there. I mean, it doesn't work that way. Um, you know, we, we, uh, it's from God. God is the one who determines what your gifts are going to be and what my gifts are going to be. He gives it to us not only uh, the gift, but also the faith to exercise that gift. And, and, you know, this is important because it all comes from him. And when we belittle the gift that we've been given, we say, oh, it's, not, it's nothing or whatever, uh, we quibble and question the sovereign will of Almighty God. I mean, he's the one who gave them and he determined the gift given to us along with the place of ministry where he has placed us. And so it's important for us to make sure that we're able to exercise the gifts that he gives us. Secondly, I would say the, the gracious nature of the gifts, that's why they're called gifts. They're an act of grace. And you think about that, you didn't earn the, the spiritual gift. It's not something you can work for in order to obtain it. It was freely given to you by God, this spiritual gift. And you know, it comes by grace, and indeed, the word for gift and grace are related to the same word, charismata. And so it's gifts and grace together. And you think about that, this means that you ought to never become proud or arrogant about any gift that you might have. It's not a reflection of how spiritual you are, how mature you are. It's a reflection of Almighty God's grace to you. See, when our service doesn't appear to be successful, when we're doing what we think we ought to be doing and for some reason there's not uh, success in that ministry or whatever it is, um, or when our ministry is, is not self-serving, we tend to resign. We want to say, well, I'm just not going to use it then because I'm not getting the satisfaction out of using it. Or maybe I'm feeling like it might be drudgery or, or there's things that I want to do that I can't do. And like Jonah, like Jonah, we can wait for the flash and the fire. And when it doesn't come, like we think it should, we pack up our gourd and we go home. Because we don't want to play anymore. But the idea is, is the gifts that God has given us are not given in order that we can focus on the gifts. The gifts that he gives us are given to us so that we can focus on the giver of the gifts. Not the gift itself. We're given those gifts so that we might focus on Jesus Christ, his body. Now in verses 6, 7, and 8, Paul has given us a general list of gifts for believers to consider as they think about how they should respond to the mercies of God. And the, the list really covers all of the needs in our church. I mean, there's seven gifts mentioned here. More could be mentioned. But these seven are given as representative. They don't seem to be given in any special order, you know. It's just 
he puts them out there. And before we look at these, I, I got a couple of questions I want to ask. And uh, one of them is, how do we discover what our spiritual gift is? I'm not a huge fan of spiritual inventories. And they can help. But what happens a lot of times is people trust in these and they lock in on something that, that it said was their gift. And so then they're not open to anything else that God may be wanting to do in their life or give them as a gift. To discover your gifts, you have to get involved in serving in different ministries. And you plug in and you f- figure out what, what, what you know, God is doing. And God, I've said it before, he only <laughs> directs moving vehicles. And so I would encourage you to get involved in, in ministries in the church. Start serving and, and if God needs to redirect you, he will. But as you serve, you will discover that you enjoy doing some things more than others some things seem to bother you and some things don't and so God uses our desires to help direct us but understand this doesn't mean that if you have a gift and you're seeking to exercise that gift that it's going to be something that's easy to do Somehow we think that, you know, well, if, if, if it just comes naturally to me, then that's what I need to do. But understand, there's work involved with exercising the gift. You know, I find God's word, teaching God's word, to be difficult, tedious, and stressful. The weight of responsibility for me being accurate in rightly dividing the word of God means that I have to trust him in doing that. A gifted teacher needs to study and learn throughout life. A pastor needs to grow in his ability to shepherd people. And, and, and to, you know, but like all hard work, there's satisfaction when the work is done. But just because God gives you a spiritual gift does not mean that you're not going to have to work at it. You will have to work at it to develop that gift to do what God has called you to do. And also, when you serve in a certain area that you're gifted in, God will bring a measure of blessing as well, where others will recognize that gift in in you or or your, your service or something and say, you know, I really appreciate you doing that. I really appreciate God using you in that way. And there's one more way that we can discern our gift that may surprise us. You think about this. What do you complain about? in the church because people tend to complain in their area of giftedness I mean think about it gifted teachers are going to complain that the teaching is weak those gifted in administration may grumble about the church being poorly organized those folks who are gifted in mercy they may, they may gripe that the church neglects the shut-ins. Those gifted in evangelism may shake their heads at a, a lack of interest in outreach. And so it goes. But the solution, of course, is to quit complaining and get involved in serving and raising the bar in that area of your giftedness so that that need is met in the church. I should also point out that there are 
There's not necessarily a correlation between, between a person's um, effectiveness of their gift and a person's spiritual maturity. I mean, someone may be a gifted evangelist, but if he's spiritually immature so that his life is not a good advertisement for the gospel, understand the enemy loves to use circumstances like that to bring dishonor to the name of Christ. So we all should be growing in that maturity, learning and growing, and being careful that if God grants us great results in some type of ministry, then our lives are Christ-like and don't cause a scandal for Christ. We don't want to bring shame on the body. And so I'm going to acknowledge but sidestep a very difficult question here on whether all of the spiritual gifts are valid for today because that's not my purpose today except to say that we do need to test and evaluate the gifts against the New Testament and what it says about, about that. For instance, in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul writes this. He says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. But examine everything carefully. And hold fast to that which is good. See, and with that very lengthy introduction, we're going to actually look at the gifts now for a few moments out of Romans 12. The first one that he talks about, he says, since we have these gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. I mean, there's a fair amount of controversy around this gift, defining this gift. Wayne Grudem, he wrote a book, it's called The, The Gift of Prophecy in the New Testament and Today, arguing that this gift, when it's properly defined, is valid for the church today. And he distinguishes between the apostolic gift of prophecy, when the, when the uh, prophets in the Old Testament and, and the, the, the apostles, they transmitted authoritative revelation to the church. They received it from God, they gave it to the church. Which required evaluation and discernment to determine its application and validity. See, he defines prophecy as telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. And when Paul says we should prophesy according to the proportion of our faith, I understand him to mean that the prophet must not be governed by his own emotions or his own love of speaking, but only speak that which God has given him to speak. The prophet must also speak everything that God has given him to speak, not holding back difficult truth. Because sometimes we might be tempted to pick and choose. Say what God put on your heart, only speak what he put on your heart, but say everything that he gave you. See, most authors would distinguish prophecy from teaching by saying that a prophet received immediate revelation from God, whereas the teacher studied the scriptures to explain and apply them. And I also understand that according to the proportion of his faith, Paul is attaching that to verse 3 where he says that each of us has been allotted a measure of faith. And so Paul is referring to the faith of the prophet. Paul means that he must be careful to trust in God and not go beyond what God has given him to say. The gift of prophecy. 
Moving on, he talks about the gift of service. And if it's in serving, then in his serving. I just want to say, if you have the gift of serving, then just do it. Just get after it. I mean, when we talk about serving, it's, you know, uh, the, the gift of service always takes place, it seems, behind the scenes. If we were going to have communion this morning, if we wanted to distribute the communion, but no one had bought the juice or taken care of the bread, no one had filled the trays, you would notice. But what happens is faithful servants make these things and many more happen each and every week. They serve. They're not up front. You don't know who they are. They're just quietly doing what God has given them to do. And I want to tell you, that's a very valuable gift. When we think about the the unsung heroes that, that help every week do things for our church body. The third gift that he mentions is the gift of teaching. That he who teaches in his teaching should exercise humility. And after telling Timothy not to neglect his gift, Paul goes on to tell him in 1 Timothy uh, 4, verse 15 and 16, he says, take pains with these things. (laughs) Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay attention, excuse me, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. And so he's saying, take pains in it. Just because you have the gift of teaching doesn't mean that, that you can just, you know, um, you know freestyle. You have, to, you have to put some work into it. And, and, and just because you're gifted doesn't mean that it comes easily. So don't wing it. Put the work in. Work hard at it. And that's his encouragement to us. If it's in teaching, in our teaching, work hard at it. The fourth gift is exhortation. He who humbles, excuse me, he who exhorts in his exhortation. And this gift is somewhat related to the teaching gift. Because it's encouraging in your teaching. But usually the difference is one in emphasis. John Murray says this, he says, as teaching is directed to the understanding, it is exhortation to the heart and to the conscience and to the will. See, I believe that all teaching should contain some amount of exhortation or application. I love this because God's word is not meant just to fill our heads with understanding. But it's meant for us to apply it to our lives. To transform our lives. Then we have the gift of giving. He who gives with liberality. And that word liberality, it may mean generosity. Or it may mean simplicity. But the idea here is, if you are giving, you are giving with pure motives. You're giving with pure motives, not not giving so that you can give in a manipulative way to to get status or to gain power, but but we should give as to the Lord out of a pure heart, 
And that when he says with liberality, that's what he's talking about, with pure motives. I mean, if you want a negative example, you could look at Acts 5 and see Ananias and Sapphira, how they wanted to give and they were lying to the Holy Spirit about the whole thing. And Paul is saying, man, pure motives in the heart makes a difference when you're giving it to the Lord. And then he talks about the gift of leadership. He who leads with diligence. Folks, this word may mean to give aid or to engage in good deeds, but most commentators understand it to mean in order to lead. And Paul uses this word uh, to describe church leaders, specifically elders and deacons, that they would lead uh, with diligence. And and with diligence means you can't be a passive leader. (laughs) I'm sorry, guys. Sometimes we just like to coast. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is you must take initiative whether you are leading in your family or whether you are leading in the church. That you need to be a leader who is exercising diligence in that. Leaders must see problems that need attention and work through them and work through others to provide solutions giving appropriate oversight. And lastly, I just want to say this about this last gift, the gift of mercy. If you have the gift of mercy, show mercy with cheerfulness. That's what he tells us to do. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And here's why. People who are suffering can tell whether you're Helping them because it's your duty or because you genuinely care about them. They don't need to hear about how much you're sacrificing in order to help them. They need a cheerful countenance. They need somebody to smile that helps point them to the Lord as their strength. And a cheerful disposition leaves someone who is suffering. It leaves them with hope for better days, that things are going to get better. And as I wrap this up, I just want to invite our worship team to come back up. They're going to lead us in a couple of more um, songs. You know, even if you disagree with a couple of the details that I've shared, we all should agree with some practical implications of Paul's teaching here. And the first is this, there should not be any bench warmers in the body of Christ. We all have a gift and we all need to exercise that gift in the body. Every member has been given some gift. The Lord didn't give it to you to bury it and wait for his return. So if you're not serving somewhere, look around. Figure out what needs to be done and then go do it. You're part of the body and you need to be exercising your gifts. Secondly, we should not boast in our own gifts and belittle or criticize those who don't have the same gifts as us. I mean, God's the one who gives those gifts graciously and we don't deserve them. He gives them to us for specific reasons. And folks, it is a great, great privilege to serve the Lord 
in any capacity. But I want you to understand, we need your gifts. We need your gifts here in this body. Serving, working, affirming, serving the Lord in this church with humility. And third, I would say this, don't envy the gifts of others. Don't envy them. God made you who you are. He's gifted you in a specific way. He gave you something that he deems important for you to do. Just imagine with me a community of people where Christ is the head. He's the head. The arms are the preachers. The legs are the servers. The hands are the teachers. The eyes are the encouragers. The ears are those who give and the, the givers who, and, and the financial providers. The feet are the leaders. And the heart, those are the mercy givers. Those are the ones who go and visit the shut-ins and those that are in need, those who are suffering. Just imagine a body like that with each member performing and doing its part for the body of Christ. See, we should cooperate and not compete with each other. You know, in just a moment, I'm going to pray and we're going to be led in a couple of songs. And this song is an opportunity for you to respond. The very first step that each one of us must take is toward a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you've never acknowledged Christ as your Savior and Lord, you ought to do that this morning. Because we need Jesus. I need Jesus. You need Jesus. In order to do what he calls us to do. Come to give your life to Jesus this morning. To make him your Savior and your Lord. To slip out from where you are and come. Maybe come this morning to follow him in baptism. Come this morning to join the fellowship of Memorial. And here's the big one. Come to surrender your gifts to be used in the body. Lord, show me what you want and I will do it. Would you come when we do that? Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for the way you created the body of Christ. And Father, I thank you for the spiritual gifts that each one of us have, that we have received from you. And I pray, Father, that, that we would engage those gifts.